Uh, I want to invite you to remain standing uh, for our second scripture reading. It's Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. In the first book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? He replied, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So if this is your first Sunday, then you are coming in the very middle of a sermon series in which we are taking some words that often have become laden terms in our culture, that we may imagine um, certain definitions of them, or we may presume certain experience or baggage that we have with them. And sometimes that can hinder us from really receiving or claiming the good news or a word that would be life-giving for us about them. So last week we talked about submission. This week we're gonna talk about the word witness. Next week we will tackle the word purity. I think I have shared with y'all before that when I was a teenager, I was something you might call of a goody two-shoes. Now, I have had people come to me privately and say, are you being serious? Like, I mean, like you can tell me. Stephanie, if you weren't. And I am sorry to report, but the truth really was that I was a goody two-shoes. I mean, my parents had a pretty easy time of it um, when I was a teenager. So my idea of fun at 15, regrettably, did not look like that of many of my peers. I attended a youth weekend when I was 15 years old called Chrysalis. Some of you may be familiar with it. It's a spiritual growth retreat that is modeled after Emmaus for adults. For me at 15, it was a wonderful experience. I had people share with me tangible expressions of God's love in ways that I had never had before. It was fun. I mean, Chrysalis was intended to be a fun environment for young people. One of the things I loved best about it was it didn't matter wherever you went, people would leave these little goodies, tasty treats, trinkets with, you know, simple Bible verses or words God loves you or at times really corny expressions um, on your pillow, at your lunch table, at your seat with your table when you were having discussions. And this was called agape, which is the, one of the Greek words for love. And the people who would put these things out for the entire weekend, like three days of gifts being given throughout the weekend, well, they were called agape fairies. Yes. 
This goody two-shoes loved this agape. And I thought being an agape fairy sounded right up my alley. So when I got back, um, I encouraged all of my friends that I could, and most of them did, um, to attend the next chrysalis. And then we decided after football games on Friday nights, what could be more fun than going to someone's home, baking up a batch of cookies or cupcakes or brownies and decorating messages of love and then going out into the dark of the night. And then to make it more fun, what we would do is we would pretend it's like rolling someone's house. You don't wanna get caught. So you would sneak up to their doorstep, or back then people didn't lock their cars, or you'd get into their car and you would leave your agape for people. And it was always signed, love the agape fairies. (laughs) Now, I seriously could stop here and just tell you story upon story of um, adventures, some good, some frightening, um, some not so good. But this was how I spent uh, many a Friday night, particularly in the fall after football games. And to be clear, I'm going to be real clear, I'm pretty sure I thought this was a fantastic way of witnessing to my faith, of sharing God's love with others. And if I'm really pushed on this, I would still say I think there are worst ways that a teenager can spend their Friday nights. And if I'm really still pushed on it, I still think it kind of sounds fun. Um, I think there are more harmful ways to share God's love than leaving tasty goodies and notes of encouragement. Like I can think of a few others that I participated in throughout my life. I can think of when I was a part of a campus ministry in college and I went on a winter retreat with them and I found myself uh, one afternoon with others dropped off in the middle of section eight housing in Atlanta with boxes of food, but then also tracks And we were told that we needed to go door to door and share um, God's love and ask people if they were saved before we could deliver the food to them. For me, this felt, even at that age, terrible. Uh, it, It felt like a bait and switch. Like, I know you're hungry, but I can't give you this food until first you listen to the message I need you to hear. It wasn't an authentic way for me to share my faith. And I didn't feel like that was genuine. Or I can think about more recently, in my own community in which I live, in Vestavia Hills, um, some years ago, my daughter was invited to attend a girl's Bible study that met early on her campus in elementary school before school began. I agreed um, for her to go. And, but this time, being a little older and wiser, I thought, you know what, I'm gonna probably, I'm gonna go with her because I'm wondering if maybe there's gonna be some stuff she hears that we need to unpack together. So we went and there was a huge group of young women that morning before school. And there was a teacher who was there who was leading the devotional time. She was sharing her understanding and experience of the gospel. There came a moment in which she passes out beautifully wrapped little gifts for the girls. There's candy in it. And then there's a little book called Charlie's Ants. It's a track that inside has pictures of rather disturbing demonic devils charting off young children who had not prayed the proper prayer to experience salvation. She encouraged them to take this track with them throughout school and maybe over lunch to spend time sharing this track with friends at the lunch table. 
Needless to say, this was not um, mine or my daughter's preferred way of expressing our faith. So she chose of her own not, not to attend again. Now, let me also be clear, my kids have spent years in the school system and have been told multiple times by well-meaning friends, I'm sure, that they don't think they love Jesus enough because they have not been attending these Bible studies. To which you might imagine I said something like this, you go back and you tell those children that your mother is a preacher and you get plenty of Jesus at home and at your church. (laughs) For me, and I would think for my friend or my, my children, focusing upon sin isn't authentic when I want to share my faith with someone else. So I share all those stories with you because I think when we come to, to focusing on words like witness, it's super important that we understand our own baggage, our own experiences, our own bias towards those words before we can ever get to a place that we can reclaim something that may feel healthy and lead us to a better place. I mean, even just yesterday, someone shared with me, I hate the word witness because of the way it's been used in my life, because of the images and experiences that are conjured up when I felt manipulated to to share my faith in a way that wasn't authentic for them. Until we understand our own personal history with words like this, we cannot let go of the harm and claim the health that can be before us. The truth is, is that the United Methodist Church thinks that being a witness is vitally important. It's a part of our membership vows. You've heard them this morning already. It's been a part of our membership vows since 2008 when we added it to the list of prayers, presents, gifts, and service. One might ask, what do we mean by that word? I think we also have to acknowledge that we are told by Jesus that it's important for us to be a witness. It's why we've read the scripture we've read so far this morning. Matter of fact, these passages that we've read, the Greek is in the imperative form, which means It's not a, hey, maybe you ought to think about doing this. It's a command. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. Go and make disciples. So what does it mean for us to share the gospel, make disciples, and be a witness? When we begin this conversation, it's valuable to understand that witnesses were crucial to court proceedings before the Sanhedrin and Jewish culture. In most cases of breaking the law, it was required that not one, but two people had to have seen or heard what you're accused of doing in order for the Sanhedrin to convict you. And only free men could be a witness in that court. So not slaves, not women, not children. Therefore, we can better understand the context of Scripture, like Proverbs 14.25, when it says, "...a truthful witness saves lives." but a false witness is a traitor. You see, this passage isn't about eternal salvation. It's about pleading your case before the Sanhedrin. I think it's also important that we remember for the entirety of Jesus's life, he was a Jew, a faithful Jew. He did not come here to change people from being Jewish into being a Christian. That wasn't part of his understanding So Jesus is not, in fact, saying, go and witness and evangelize these people to a new faith because poor them, they're wrong, and they're going to hell as they are. That wasn't a part of his understanding. 
Instead, I believe, when we see Jesus inviting his closest friends who had firsthand knowledge, literally, they are the ones who saw the miracles, they saw the healings, they had been at the feasts and the celebration. He knew they had the credentials in their community to actually bear witness to their faith. And he is saying, because you know, because you have seen and heard, now go live this out. Go tell this story, share with others this truth. This truth that the abundant life, well, it's within you and it's around you. This truth that the law is fulfilled as you love yourself, a truth that we are meant to bear fruit, and that fruit should look like love, hope, grace, forgiveness. This truth that we are all lights upon a hill, lights in dark places where there is death and sadness, oppression, hunger, and loss. The truth that when someone is isolated and alone, We envelop them, we surround them with a loving community. We don't cast them outside, away from ourselves. The truth that when someone has sinned, we don't in fact stone them. Instead, we grieve with them over this brokenness and we nurture them back into right relationship with all. This truth that when somebody has wronged us, We help them to see the harm that has been done. And as a community, we insist that they learn a different way to live life. The truth that when all seems lost and death and violence overshadow this life, we remember the deep pattern of life. That death brings forth life. That new beginnings come. And that love never, ever dies. This is what Jesus wanted them to bear witness to so that all the world might awaken to the truth within themselves, this potential to live life in this abundant way. Tell the story, live the life, go forth in freedom to love and draw people towards this graceful way of living. I think Mother Teresa understood this. When asked about her own witnessing strategy in India, Mother Teresa wrote these words. Our purpose is to take God and his love to the poorest of the poor, irrespective of their ethnic origin or the faith they profess. Our discernment of aid is not the belief, but the necessity. We never try to convert those we receive to Christianity, but in our work, we bear witness to the love of God's presence. And if Catholic, Protestants, Buddhists, or agnostics become better for this, simply better, we will be satisfied. It matters to the individual what church they belong to. If the individual thinks and believes that this is the only way to God for him or her, this is the way God comes into their life. If he does not know any other way, And if he has no doubt so that he does not need to search, then this is his way to salvation. So when a Catholic priest asked if she attempted to convert people, she reportedly answered, yes, I convert. I convert you to be a better Hindu or a better Muslim or a better Protestant or a better Catholic 
or a better Farsi or a better Sikh or a better Buddhist. And after you have found God, it is for you to do what God wants you to do. Because of this, she was often greatly criticized for not evangelizing or witnessing the way that many thought she should. But I think she better understood the heart of Jesus' proclamation to make disciples and to bear witness. She shared love, healing, and grace. She helped people see how they could live their final days in wholeness and in peace. And that was enough. That love was all the witness they needed to connect them to the divine within them and around them. When United Methodist added the words witness to our vows of membership, we did so seeing it tied to our vows of baptism, which you heard again this morning. The word was meant to highlight our missional and our evangelistic nature of our covenant. You see, when we are baptized, we commit, we covenant with one another to resist evil and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves to us. And then we join together in a promise to bear witness to those vows publicly for all the world to see. This is meant to be lived personally and communally. Reverend Mark W. Stam, who is the author of our membership vows, which is a discipleship ministries resource, and a professor at Perkins School of Theology, says that the word witness reminds United Methodists to live out our vows publicly. Churches need to discern locally how they are going to do that in specific ways in a specific place. We commit at baptism to resist evil and repent of sin. We commit to resisting injustice and oppression and to work against them. So the question then is, where is there injustice in the place that we live? What does it look like? Do we have the courage to name it where we live? And if we name it, then what would resisting it look like? My friends, that is witnessing to the gospel. As a congregation, I believe we have found many ways to witness to the inclusive love that is all-encompassing in Christ. You actively proclaim a message of love that welcomes all even when we struggle with that. We see that we are not the gatekeepers of God's love. Instead, we are meant to be conduits of God's love to a hurting world. You have found ways to bear incredible witness to this love without shaming, without making others who don't believe just like you believe feel insignificant. You say, come here, come here, if you haven't got it all figured out. Come here if you have been wounded or hurt. Come here if you are angry with the church. You look for ways to resist evil and oppression in this community around you, serving alongside others and supporting our community partners who are outside of these walls. You share what this place means to you and the acceptance you feel here, and you know that that witnessing makes a difference. It has a way of drawing others in, drawing them in to the baptismal font, drawing them in into the covenant to share and profess this love and faith. It has a way of lighting a candle in the dark, of becoming a beacon 
so that all wayward ships and wanderers find their way home to the heart of oneself and to the heart of God. So I ask you, keep on keeping on. Let us not be shy or ashamed to bear that kind of witness to God's love. Let your unique and authentic life teach you how best you are meant to share the light of Christ. Be yourself, living out this grace and trusting that love always, it always has a way of bearing witness to the one who created it. And for that, I think we can say, thanks be to God. Amen.